You are listening to Boku no Stop, an anime podcast that got a message from back home and has too much to live for now. I'm your host, Sybil Arnett, and with me this week is... Matt Marcus, uh, hopefully not throwing any death flags this week. Garrett, also hoping to not die? Chris, find it deeply unrelatable that you could want to live after getting a message from home. <laughs> and today we're talking about Iron-Blooded Orphans, episodes 9 and 10. Content warnings for today's batch include killing families in front of kids and then human trafficking said kids. Mm-hmm. Last time, the horny episodes happened, but they happened in a way that led the Isaribi and its Tekadan crew to a potential future. The possibility of an alliance with system-wide mafia Tewaz. Now, via the introduction of family boss Naze Turbine, the crew have arrived at Saisei, the organization's flagship, to meet with Don McMurdo Barristan. So glad we're finally getting into a non-horny episode. Just relax, keep it clean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, this one is a lot more tame on camera. It's just very horny in a different way. Those suits look nice. They do clean up nice, those boys. Mm-hmm. Anyway, episode nine, Sakazuki. We resume on the Saisei. Uh, Slowly, we zoom in on the massive ship listed as a planetary cruiser to find a massive moated villa inside. Naze tells the Tekadon reps who are Biscuit, Orga, Mika, Kudelia, and Eugene. And, you know, they're they're trying to dress up in like a shirt and, you know, jacket and tie and like the ties are only Eugene. I think it's only wearing the tie. tie. I have forgotten that only Eugene was wearing the tie. I thought they all were draped around his neck like a net noose. It's so funny. Yeah, sometimes like it is kind of fun with a little spritzatura to not have your tie um, all the way up, but probably not here. Here, clearly it wasn't. He was trying and failed. Hell, it's probably the only tie on the entire (laughs) Ship. <laughs> yeah, maybe. With one tie, they have to share it. <laughs> yeah, it's their conch. <laughs> anyway, uh, they're trying to be on their best behavior because they're about to meet one of the most feared men in the galaxy who sh- isn't threatening at all in these episodes. <laughs> as far as I can tell. Yeah, extremely Italian coded. Yep. <laughs> Even though he's like, con- like just. You know, he, he's in a kimono the whole time. He's like doing Japanese like tea, not tea ceremonies. It's like a like they're like sharing sake. You can't like be surprised, but Japanese- you record a podcast with me. Italian people can be weaves. I know, but it's like the, the extent to it is very amusing to me. Yeah, Chris, this would be like if the sweatshirt you have on right now was actually a fine silk drape over your body. I wish. And also, this is a bathrobe. <laughs> Yeah, every, every once in a while, I, like, run into, like, uh, there, there'd be, like, uh, a fashion company that's, like, oh, check out this, like, um, you know, ceremonial, like, take on, like, the Japanese ceremonial jacket. And I'm, like, that looks cool, but I, I don't, I would not feel comfortable wearing that. That feels, like, too much, like, appropriation. Important Chris Taylor wardrobe update. Matt, it did deeply stick with me when you asked... But how many of those other shirts have Vegeta on them? And I have not thrown out that shirt yet. <laughs> That's exclusively why. <laughs> I mean, look, some people just have a brand. <laughs> some of them are genocidal dickheads. So that's your brand. 
<laughs> Look, <laughs> and I only thought of this because we started talking about silk shirts, and I was like, what if I got a silk shirt with Vegeta on it? Look, I'm wearing censored passages from To Kill a Mockingbird. I can't talk. God. Yeah, it it was very funny. Uh, uh, when I went to um, Puerto Rico a couple weeks ago, uh, so much anime just out there. Anyway, uh, so <laughs> the cards... Uh, recognize Naze, and they allow the crew entry where the older man warns them that he hopes that they're ready. And once inside, the old man is pruning a bonsai. Again, like we said, he's a total weeb. I say that as a man with a bonsai in my house. Uh, and a uh, there's an understated gag here, uh, which is that Naze is constantly holding his hat over his heart with one hand at all times. I'm not sure if that's a... Is that a gag or is that just a thing you do to be respectful? <laughs> It's to be respectful, but also it's very funny that he's the only person who brought a hat to this meeting, so he's constantly got to be getting it in this too small room. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Then the music has gone all Godfather B-sides as we learn that Nick Murdo is, despite the Japanese accoutrements, uh, he's surrounded by a very Sicilian gentleman calling for one of his men to bring the boys some cannolis. Um, Naze issues his proposal. Okay, a... real talk. They say with extra cream. Like, please, we know these are freezer cannolis. Don't fucking play. They have what cream is in them already. Naze issues his proposal a uh, Sazuki blood oath between himself and Orga, uh, bringing Takedon into the family. Naze says he'll even do a 50 50 split between the two branches. Uh, McMurdo suggests that the size of Cher might get a target on their backs out of the gate, so maybe go 60-40. We see some moments with the rest of the cast. Atra is helping out in the mess, where one of the younger Tekadan lads runs his mouth about how she didn't attend the meeting because girls are too weak. And this leads to one of Naze's wives picking the kid up by his skull between two fists, asking him to repeat mm -hmm. that statement. That's hurt so bad. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In the Hammerhead's hangar, Laughter is leaving the Sims, complaining that he's insatiable, a night with Naze is easier than this, and Akihiro emerges from the other machine, drenched in sweat, and screams for another round. Uh, finally, we see Amina chilling in the mess hall as Atra cleans up, and the older woman tries to tell the younger that it's better to share a loving man with others than to keep a shameful one to yourself. And a metaphor about cooking that misfires when Atra has never eaten real meat. <laughs> uh, it's so funny where it's just like, yeah, but like, how good is this meat? It's really fucking good meat. We then cut across the galaxy to McGillis and Galio. You can enjoy that one, listeners. The two are headed home from their inspection to Earth, where McGillis is due to be promoted for their cleanup duty. McGillis says they'll find the Isaribi no matter what, because if they take the official path to Earth, Gialerhorn's beacons will hear about it, and if they take a back route, the pair of them, i.e. McGillis and Galio, will be waiting already. Plus, he tells Galio, he's got an informant on the inside keeping him up to date, so nothing's going to catch them off guard again. During the trip, we learn that Galio has taken on young Ein as an assistant, but finds little of interest in the self-serious young man. He actually pulls him aside at one point and goes, You got a girlfriend? No, sir, I'm very devoted to my do- Oh my god, I took you on hoping that I could get something less boring out of this trip. God, there is definitely a strain here of, like, masculinity being tied to uh, getting it in. 
these stretch of episodes like and the last one if you count the whole i mean naze's whole deal but uh that's very much a theme <laughs> for these episodes is boy you should get laid is it that though or is it that some of the most weirdly stodgy people have opinions on that and we're gonna see that come back to bite them in the ass i guess well, no, you don't because you have so. yep you have a bunch of the Tekadon kids, uh, um, you know, going to see sex workers off screen. Two. Isn't it like two, of them. two, two by of the them. time they go? Yeah, it's two. Because I named oh, them that's later. fine. Also. Which is like, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just thinking it's a funny thing to have, like, keep coming up. And I'm just saying that both of the young men who do that go in very different directions. They're teen boys, Matt. That's their entire character mm-hmm. development is, did I have sex yet? Plus, it gives us some one of my favorite fight scenes in this stretch of episodes. Uh, speaking of fights, there's a brief flashback to Crank's final words to Ayn, where he says, I'm not going to kill children, but I'm also not going to let my men die. Live on, lad. And then we see that in the most Metal Gear Solid fashion, Ayn has taken entirely the wrong lesson from his dead mentor and decides the best course of action is to hunt down and avenge the man on children. Yeah, yeah, because you can kill children if you're punishing them. Otherwise, don't. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, yikes. So before the ceremony can be prepared, there is some downtime in the villa. Eugene and Biscuit are chowing down on pastries as Naze informs Orga that he found a buyer for their equipment. Yay. And they're going to get a lot more money than they originally expected. That has to do with the fully intact Ahab reactor that they are selling. Because at the moment, only Gallerhorn is allowed to create them and sell them. And so anything, any way you could get one outside of Gallerhorn is going to uh, be very, very costly. Or at least very desired and therefore uh, valuable. Nazi suggests that perhaps he should let some of the Tekadon team use those funds to blow off some steam for a night since, you know, they've been pretty much just living, you know, hand to mouth this whole time. And Orga asks, uh, do you uh, do that with your wives? And the older man assures him that, oh, yeah, of course, you you have to let women blow off some steam or it builds up and bam, they explode. So, uh, Orga decides that, yeah, we'll do that. And Eugene dispatches to spread the word on the Izaribi over Biscuit's very um, modest protest. <laughs> He's like, but, oh, but, but the spreadsheets. <laughs> but my accounting. Meanwhile, Cadelia and her bodyguard, quote unquote, Mizuki, are in a private meeting with McMurdo. Um, the Don tells her that her speech was heard on Earth, and she is such a well-known figure due to the moves it's caused. See, the speech was heard and admired by one of the Space Sphere factions. Um, Earth Sphere. I thought I said Earth Sphere. You said Space Sphere for some reason. Oh. I, te- I mean, technically still true. What is Earth but? <laughs> but a sphere in space. Correct. Um, see, the Don't spe- encourage this. <laughs> see the speech was heard and admired by one of the earth spear factions arboro and nobody else meaning it's put nations on the brink of war um there's a brief speech explaining um that sure in a vacuum more rights equals good 
Um, but the people you're trying to get those rights from are going to be upset that they quote unquote lose something in the deal. And subtly, your equality is just a pain point for everyone else. You're sharing the stage with stop highlighting the goddamn text. I'm not highlighting anything. Somebody was. McMurdo has an offer for King Delia. Make yourself known as having the backing of Tewaz. It won't solve all of her problems, but it will make a lot of people more afraid to fire the first shot at her. She says she needs time to think on this. And while McMurdo says he doesn't see why, Mikazuki interrupts. Cadelia, just know that whatever choice you make, people are going to die because of it. This is like the first time I had to take a life in battle. However I chose to react that day, it was going to shape the course of my life forever. Don't choose a path lightly. Don't freak out, I swear. Uh, McMurdo <laughs> sits back and says she's got a day. As the two leave, the Don asks Mika's name. When he realizes that he's the Gundam pilot, McMurdo says that his engineers will take excellent care of the suit. Uh, in the dub, he's like, I'm old and don't have that long to wait. <laughs> yes. It's actually a... They have some fun with McMurdo because they clearly get to put whatever spin they want on him from scene to scene between different types of mafia. Aboard the Izuribi, Orca has brought back full platters of sweets and treats for the younger crew, and then after a few minutes hearing about the ruckus, the older crowd come in wondering what their share is going to be. Orga tells them with a grin that he's got a plan for them, too, and we hard cut to them on a pub crawl aboard the Saisei. I nearly used the photo of all of them between three different pubs as the cover art for this, but I decided on the better one. That's fair. <laughs> of note, only Eugene and Mika do not get smashed, with Eugene also showing some hesitation when one of the others is asking, Where do we get some women around here? We then smash cut from the pub to Orga puking into a nearby river, Mika rubbing his shoulders through the process. Anyway, a woman who's been watching them um, in the bar uh, walks over and uh, offers Orga a handkerchief. This is extreme girl boss energy here because she's wearing like an 80s, well, not quite like 80s style power suit, but she's wearing like a work she's suit. She's Murphy Brown. Yeah, yeah. And she, she she had been eyeing Orga from across the bar. And, uh, of course, because... Uh, Don't make it sound had... like that. It kind of is, though. That's kind of what they're doing here. Not she literally. She was commenting like, about, like, how uh, noisy the bar was. It it seems very clear to me immediately that, oh, this is Orga's love interest. Like, they're gonna... And then as the episodes uh -huh. go... <laughs> They start, it starts to look like it's going that way. Of course, Gundam's going to Gundam, so I, I can't really predict where it's actually going to go. I'm just not going to say anything, but I bet you're not going to guess who gets love interests in this show. Uh, I don't want to guess because any guess I'll have would be either wrong or very, very problematic. <laughs> hey, Matt, what if I told you there are some gay people on the fucking Isaribi? I thought that that's what they established these episodes. There's a couple of people who are like, I don't, I don't care about women. Although one of them's Orga, who I, I, I don't know, maybe he's lying. He's married to no the idea. job. Every time he said that, I'm like, stop trying to get me canceled on my podcast. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. So she's she this this woman's very much an adult. Comes over uh, and tells him gently that if he's going to act like an adult, he needs to learn the hard way what his consequences are. And she doesn't... Which makes give... no sense. He's dealing with the consequences. Yeah, that's what she's saying. Oh, you decided to be a party boy, huh? Welcome to what party boys get. Uh-huh, uh-huh. 
she does. We don't get her name here, but we, we find out very shortly that this is Maribit Stapleton and she will become plot important. Um, from here, the crew split up for the night. Uh, Akihiro is carrying until I staple a ton. Sure. I mean, she is good uh, at paperwork. Mm, that is true. That is her job. Yeah. Business management. So Akihiro is carrying a falling down, wasted orga with Mika's help. And Shino is basically forcing Eugene to follow him along to a brothel. Uh, Biscuit follows the boss back as Orga begins muttering that he's going to make sure that they have a family and a home. Like, the number of times we go, hey, Tekadon's my family. We're family. Family's important. What about family? I'm like, I, I get it. Look, he just I learned that it. word and he's using it like a big boy. <sighs> That's true. It's, right. It's just, yeah. I think I might start re- slowly replacing all of my clothing when it gets ripped with Vegeta shirts. Actually, <laughs> don't. <laughs> all of them. You would. Th- that Adidas one is pretty fucking good, not gonna lie. Yeah, it is. That one is pretty good. Shut up. Also, I love... I- Thanks. I now love I'm imagining one- from DMC going my Vegetas. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> Anywho, mm-hmm. aboard the Isarimi, Cadelia is talking her quandary over with Fumitan, who says that she's not qualified to offer this level of advice as a maid, but effectively letting Cadelia reason out on her own that they really don't have another option with Galahorn against them. Um, before she leaves, the younger woman offers her maid a necklace to match her own, um, bought earlier aboard the... Saisei. Yeah, whatever you said. Uh, this necklace makes her feel conflicted as she quietly types off a message to someone later that evening, and in case you haven't realized, no, there's a reason the maid was able to hack into, quote-unquote, Galhorm's comms earlier. She might be the spy. Yeah, I've, I've always thought it work. was for the dad, but not for the dad. Orga is deposited in the darkened mess hall to sleep it off. But before walking off, Biscuit and Mika have a quick chat about what Mika heard from McMurdo. Biscuit says that they'll have to catch Orga up tomorrow, but frankly, they've only gotten this far in luck anyway, and there's bound to be a turn sometime. Orga briefly wakes up to hear Biscuit say it'd be nice if he relied on them more. Orga then proceeds to come to sometime later when Ride is squirreling around in a cabinet. It turns out Ride stuffed a lot of the sweets away in a back corner, thinking that, you know, might be good to have a treat for when some of the younger kids have a rough time. Orga praises his foresight before vomiting on the floor again with the most incredible sound work. <laughs> Fucking shout outs, mm. this puke sound. You okay? Boss! My favorite part of this is that Ride's response is like, oh shit, boss, are you dying? What's this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, the next day, Mika and Orga prepare for the Brotherhood Ceremony, and as they do, we get to see, you know, more downtime with the crew across the ships. Yukinojo and the mechanics go to check in on the Barbados, which, just as McMurdo said, is being put into the care of his top engineers, who have already stripped it of the damaged armor and are tuning it with no budgetary constraints. One of the head engineers is creaming himself in zero-g over this, getting to work with what he calls a phantom machine, one of the 72 suits that ended the Calamity War, whose plans were lost to time. A lot of the you older Tekadam You know, a classic crew, Gundam. Mm-hmm. You know. Honestly, it's not classic Gundam. Most of the time, it's just, 
these are prototypes, figure it out. You're developing the plans. That's fair. It is um, the opposite because it's lost, but the mechanic super hyped over getting to work on a Gundam is consistent always. Hey, sometimes the mechanic is super hyped to work on tires. Hell a yeah. lot of the older Tekadan crew are being fitted in Tekadan branded kimonos. I love that they got these in like 24 hours. Right? That's yeah. an impressive turnaround. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a few good bits in here. Um, Amida's trying to help Biscuit into his, but he's too large to fit into any of them to his disappointment, so he's got to wear it loose. Eugene needs help figuring out how to wear the outfit, with laughter helping him into it, teaching him uh, that the clothes make the man, and he blushingly says, uh, you're right, I am a man now, <laughs> and probably heard to respond to, huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, as Atra helps Kudelia dress for the proceedings, the taller blonde asks, uh, I think I finally understand how Mikazuki has felt this whole time. And she's, you know, pretty sad about it. Uh, Mika, meanwhile, is watching Naze paint uh, very ornamental banners for Orga's name in kanji, like, the, you know, the big calligraphy script. And when Mika asks what his name would look like in these characters, uh, Naze takes a smaller sheet and paints the characters as best he can. Probably the lad to go, uh, so this is me. Uh, th- that's neat. Uh, there's also a bit of like you and Orga share a character and it's the character for I. But also the character for the G in both of their names, which is how it's. Well, the funny thing is that uh, he goes, uh, I like this much better than the letters Kudelia's uh, been teaching us. <laughs> Yeah, he yeah, wants to learn weeb. Japanese suddenly. Huge weeb. Uh-huh. Right? Oh, word, the dude who gets a katana this episode is a weeb? I mean, he gift. didn't choose the katana. And is it really... I, don't, I feel like when it shows up, it's kind of just like, we took this giant piece of metal and we made it vaguely katana-like. It's pretty fucking polished. Maybe space does that. Maybe space polishes things. Um, Kedelia talks to Orga briefly before the ceremony, saying that they'll have to talk afterwards. Um, we then see her meeting with McMurrow, saying that she's made up her mind. She already has blood on her hands. Tekadon's blood. To stop fighting now would be to waste those lives. Uh, McMurdo then asks the off-screen Orga what their organization thinks. Wouldn't that undermine uh, your pride to align with Tewaz? Orga responds, no. He's about to say that I built something, but then corrects himself to we built this organization, uh, putting a hand on Cadelia's shoulder. They, they built this city. We built this Starbucks. We built this Starbucks and high and so built this Starbucks. You built this Starbucks and high and so. <sighs> the Brotherhood ceremony goes off without a hitch. Tekadon is part of the Greater Tewaz organization, and Naze and Orga are now sworn brothers. There's a brief glimpse of the after party as the episode closes with Orga and Mika being, uh, hang- just being chill on a balcony. In the background, you can hear Atra trying to keep Eugene from falling asleep on a couch, saying, come on, that outfit will wrinkle. But he's just like, I'll be quiet, I'm looking out for you, look somewhere else. Atra, but just... Did they mention that in the annoying. subs at all? Yeah. Exactly okay, like I that. was wondering I was wondering how they would do that one because it starts being mixed even quieter as the camera goes out onto the balcony, so I didn't know if that gag worked. 
is this freshly painted? There's like a ton of like fucking like dings and shit in it. They... The the Tekadan logo on the Isaribi is new, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh a freshly branded Isaribi leaves the dock and the hammerhead follows behind as Orga tells Mika, let's go to Earth. And that brings us to episode ten, a letter from tomorrow, where we learn immediately that Yukinojo and Mikazuki are not on the departing Isaribi. Both men have stayed on the Saize for now while the Barbados is overhauled. Uh, there's a shot here where it's really clear that Mikazuki is also a short king, especially when you stand him next to one of the tallest dudes in Tekadan, one of That's the true. only middle-aged, well-fed adults. He is literally half the size of Yukinojo, st- shoulder to shoulder. On the East Ribi, Atra is already feeling her man boy's absence, rubbing her bracelet and thinking, mildly jealously, of how Mika looked guarding Kudelia during the ceremony. But she's cheered up by Biscuit jogging by and letting her know the ship just got incoming messages from Mars. This is really funny because we actually never see Atra look at a message from home. <laughs> I just mm. realized. Well, that's, that's true. That is true. <laughs> um... So the first one we see is uh, Dexter, who's surrounded by uh, some of the uh, the younger boys of the crew, uh, letting him know that uh, the support from Tewaz and funding from the equipment sales have put the company into an excellent position. So everyone is happy. Uh, Gallahorn has even backed off, allowing the company to take on more work uh, with the new freedom and capital that they have on hand. Uh from here, Biscuit heads off to watch the message from his sisters uh, by himself, and uh, he, he's trying to be considerate because the you know not everyone here has a family, and so he doesn't want to just watch a family video in front of them. And uh, Shino starts giving Eugene shit about uh, romantic inclinations, of course. Oh, you're going to tell me about this, cherry boy? <laughs> it comes up so often. He says it like four times in this scene. Uh, and, and of course, somebody else like is like whoever they're talking to is like, what? What are you talking about? It's like, come on. Um, so Cookie and Cracker proceed to put a really positive spin on some horrible news, uh, saying uh, there were a lot of sandstorms this year. So there was uh, a less to harvest. And uh, we worked hard so you can praise us when you get home. Uh, meanwhile, Cadelia's message is much less upbeat. Uh, her mother basically saying, hey, uh, how about you just come home and stop making us uh, look bad? We're worried about you. And uh, she doesn't. I don't recall her saying I'm worried about you. <laughs> that's true. It gets the sense of like, hey, I'm worried things are not going well. Um, yeah. The thing is, I'm worried you will make me look bad. Yeah. You're scaring your father. And why don't you get back here? You are lowering our status. I I, assor- I assume that uh, she doesn't know what her what her husband did. Yeah, but she doesn't even finish watching the message. Uh, she stops it and gets depressed because, of course, she basically doesn't have a that that family is basically dead her, to her. She does, however, thank Fubitan for bringing it to her in private and uh, being along for this whole ride. Uh, clearly conflicted, Fubitan only tells her being by your side is my duty. Um, because I'm she's still- a spy. Yeah, I mean, there has to be something happening there. We don't know yet, but we get the inclination that... Spoilers, one of the final episodes of this season is named Fumitan Admos. (laughs) Okay. Just just put that in your back pocket. Nazwe, meanwhile, is informing uh, the Tekadon leadership of what getting to Earth undetected means. 
Um, we're going to follow the basic roots of the Ar- Ardine network. Ariadne. Ariadne network. Um, but give a wide berth to the beacons which are under Galhorn control. Unfortunately, this means we, we may run into some daredevils along the way. Um, Biscuit is confused by this. And uh, Amida. Yeah, what you said. Uh, explains that while uh, most people wouldn't try to do anything against the Hammerhead, since the Termite family is known to be pretty militant, pirates do exist, and it turns out opposites or opportunists hide in a lot of regions um, off the map, quote unquote, that people looking to move quietly travel in. Also, just you know, for safety, Tewaz is assigning a liaison to the Isaribi. She's called into the room, and wouldn't you know it, it's Maribit. Uh, she recognizes Orga, who barely remembers their meeting, and uh, Amida mentions and Amida mentions she's one of the top business heads in the company, which is great because that's something Tekadon uh, really sucks ass at. Um, she begins hounding Orga for paperwork and organizational information, and she steps in it slightly when she expected worse from a ship run by kids. But she does plainly ask if Orga dislikes her being there, and his response is, doesn't matter, I got my orders. Eh, that's what you learn when you're a kid soldier. Sometimes you shut up and do the job. You you should be using this, you're fucking middle manager. No one likes you. Yeah, not commenting yet. Atra and Kudelia have a brief chat in the mess, where Kudelia admits that she has begun to like helping out, because it gives her room to move around and get out of her head. Meanwhile, we discover Atra's tragic backstory. She was an errand girl at a hostess club, but also ended up as the whipping girl for a lot of the older staff. Unsurprisingly, she ran away one night. The streets of Mars, however, were a lot less her speed than being homed and fed until she ran into this little dude in a coat named Mikazuki. He refuses to share his sandwich with her because he already worked hard for it, but when Atra passes out in the street, he immediately walks into a market, puts all his money on the counter, and goes, Sell me some food. I don't care what. She's too hungry to stand. This move gets Atra fed and hired by the manager of her shop on the spot, eventually becoming the secondary clerk and delivery girl, and sets her on the path that she's still on today. Also, you know, keeping her alive. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, all Cadelia can say to all this is that she's a bit jealous of the girl uh, because she had a rough time but still came up with friends and family while Cadelia had her own parents and can't trust them worth a damn because one of them basically sold her out to die. Atra breaks her out of her depressive spiral, telling her that just like the rest of Tekadan, she has family now. And then she spins off into a fantasy going, wait, if, if we're family now... And, and and that means and that means and then she imagines uh, uh, the swelling crew of the hammerhead around Naze and Amida with all the babies and like the, the animation on this is like really funny because uh, it's all it's all very childlike and brightly colored and cartoonish in a way that yeah, the rest of the show is it's not. some of the most neon you will see in this show. Yeah, true. yeah. But it, it's also like it kind of has that. um you know, like those old toys where you like pull a switch and like a thing rotates. Uh, yeah, because viewfinder. it's viewfinder. Yes, uh, because uh, at, you know she sees. Oh, Naze has all these wives, and all these children. So I could also be uh, the other wife with Kudelia. I don't have to fight her. We could all be family and have our own babies. 
boy. Uh, just like exploding brain meme here. Uh, <laughs> As she uh, starts going over this, uh, Cordelia is just sitting here watching the young woman nod to herself going, uh, um, Atra? Before she suddenly snaps out of it with a, let's hang in there and do our best, Cordelia. And then we cut to Akihiro eventually has to uh, leave the simulators to do his patrol rounds in the mobile suit. But on the way, Laughter comments on how he's really improving lately. Quote, you're still just as aggressive, but much less suicidal now. Um, while he's <laughs> stepping into his normal suit, he's stopped by um, Takaki Uno, who has asked to come out on the route with him uh, and one of the mobile workers. A younger man has been practicing in simulators, too, and wants to be ready in case he has to step up down the line. Uh, Akihiro is fine with this, thinking, well, two sets of eyes are better than one, and they tether the smaller vehicle to the suit to tag along. Takaki has been inspired to try and do his best for Tekadon by getting a letter from his sister who he wants to send off to school soon. She's in a similar situation to Biscuit's kid sisters being too small and or female to join Tekadon, but without a family farm to fall back on. Akihiro busts his balls a little bit when Takaki gets embarrassed sharing this joy. It's like, what, you don't want to talk about family to the human debris? Uh, fucking get his ass. Uh... Mm -hmm. <laughs> Still, he's happy to encourage him and admits that before he was, you know, sold off and all, Akihiro also had a younger brother. Masahiro, the boy was called, and he tried just as hard to support the family as his older brother, even when he wasn't quite physically up to it yet. This kid almost gets crushed by a whole sack of flour. Yeah, all we, <laughs> see, of this, of flour. All we see of his life is a never-ending series of taking L's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it turns out Saks do not love Masahiro, because we find out that their ship was attacked by pirates, so both boys got to watch their parents kill before their eyes, right before every child aboard was rounded up to be sold as human debris. The scene is pretty brutal, with the kids straight up just being heads outside of tightly bound Saks and Zero-G for the sale. Masahiro is hauled off three at a time with other kids on a leash as they hold down Akihiro, screaming he'll find his brother eventually. But Akihiro admits to Takaki that he's pretty sure he'll never see his brother again. Human debris doesn't have a long lifespan, and he knows he's damn lucky to have made it as long as he did. Takaki argues back, there's always a chance. The chances are we will. Probably. Uh... So the two are about to head back to the Izuribi after their moment before Takaki sees one of the stars around them. Um, it happens to be moving, which is not how stars work. And Akihiro's suit picks up. Thank and you, Matt. It, <laughs> just saying, in case you didn't know. Uh, Viewers <laughs> at home, stars are stationary objects in the galaxy. Well, they which are is also not true, all, but it's not true. They all are expanding, yada, 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 heat, death of the universe. You hear that? Uh, the sun is a ball of incandescent gas. Honestly, the heat death of the universe is the only thing that's going to stop anime, unfortunately. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, Akihiro suit picks up Ahab reactor waves. So, uh, three suits come in and begin firing on uh, knocking armor off of the greys with loose shots before one moves in for the kill with what looks like a giant cleaver. And this is where the ending theme kicks in as out of nowhere, a katana is driven uh, into this enemy's suit uh, in like the neck, basically, like where like the chest armor and the and the head connect. 
And uh, a tuned-up Barbados blasts into the melee with Mikazuki, uh, letting out a breath of relief. I really expected this to be extended longer than half an episode that they were separated, but oh well. I mean, he's got to catch up really quick, because at a certain That's point true. it becomes, why would he waste the fuel? Yeah. Well, also, I mean, he can't seems- be, at that point, he can no longer like follow the guide also. That's also true. true. Yeah. It just, in terms of like, structure of a story that's a pretty fast turnaround and also i mean it, it did get me because i was like oh both of these people are talking about like you, you have takake who's like you know i have a family and now i care and now i'm gonna try real hard and i'm gonna get myself on this job well, that i don't belong on and that's like, you're the gonna point right that's why <laughs> akihiro know? is getting owned is because takaki is there yeah yeah that's true <laughs> also but, yeah matt i don't think you've caught on that Time is not quite one-to-one in this series. There's a lot of travel time between planets and events. Oh, yeah. They they mentioned, uh, oh, hey, it's been 10 days, right, or something since, like, you know, when they were hooked up. Last episode we recorded, like, they were hooked up with um, Nazi's group. It was, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, like, there is there is some time dilation, but also like, this one felt like a time compression, if you will, <laughs> where it's like, that happened really fast. I'm just um, saying, I feel well, like it's definitely been a few days since they left for them to hit probably, the first beacon. Probably, yeah. It just, they they don't really indicate it consistently in a way that makes, like, you know, when you're watching it, you, it just kind of Because flows. it does not matter to anyone but you personally is why. <laughs> Look, I'm just surprised they didn't milk it for more drama. I felt like they, like, like let that shot go uh, pretty fast. That's all. I Here's guess how it news. works, Matt. The scene that comes after happens later doesn't happen immediately. It just happens mm-hmm. later. Well, mm-hmm. good news. Uh, they're getting through all this now because I know what the back half of this season looks like, and they don't have a lot of time to waste. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, see, yeah. I, I don't have give no a idea. shit about any of this, by the way. None of this, why it was recommended. <laughs> yeah, I hope you're ready for body counts. Yeah, I've been waiting for it because uh, I've been mildly teased and spoilered about uh, there being body counts. Well, good news. That's going to start next episode. But uh, this is a note for me. Cut in the end of episode preview from episode 10 because I do love one of the characters having to, you know, explain he exists. Yeah, I know. You're right. The sleeve is completely frayed. But it's okay. Just leave it like that. Before I came here... All I ever had were clothes that were worn out, ripped, or tattered. So it feels better when they're dirty. What? Who am I? I'm Chad. Chad Chaden. You know, I'm always on the bridge. Very good. It is very good. He's on the bridge, just all the time. Yeah. How are we doing this week? How's everyone also, feeling? extreme Gundam named Chad Chaden. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. This series has some of the most Gundam names that are not written by Tamino. I love it. Ride Mass. Yeah, Mick Murdo Barristan, please. Yeah. I don't know. It, this is good stuff. It still feels like setup, but it feels like things were going a little too smoothly. And I'm about. I, I figured. I thought there was going to be deaths this episode. Uh, I was going to say, good to know it happens immediately afterwards uh well they don't all have really to die tamino didn't make this one <laughs> it's true there's a second season you know that there are survivors there has to be yeah uh unless you kill off the entire crew and start with a new crew which i know this show isn't doing 
Um, so we'll we'll see. This all still feels like it's slow setup to the the payoffs. Gary, anything? Yeah, pretty much the same. It just kind of it's more build up, waiting for just the show to put press the pedal on the gas and not let up. I do think I don't care that much about space battles. Like it, a melee fight is not interesting when it's a space battle to me. Like I'm interested. Like ranged fights are interesting in space, but when we're doing melee fights in space, I don't I don't care about it. I don't know why. I just don't. Huh. Okay. I mean that that was. I mean that's kind of similar to like it's like what I said. Positioning last episode, like posi- yeah. positioning and like physicality don't matter at all. So I guess what are your thoughts on things like the laughter Mikazuki fight with the tethers and things last episode? But that's like a ranged battle that coincidentally ends in melee because of the physics involved in it being a ranged battle, right? Yeah, but also you wouldn't have the physics moment like the two of them getting flung off if it weren't for trying to get into melee range. Yeah, correct. Otherwise, you've just got a sniper duel and then this is done the Thunderbolt. It's the show's depiction of melee, which is just guys fly around and come in from whatever angle they they want and whatever happens, happens, right? Like, Mm -hmm. there's no, like follow through from action to action in a way that's less exciting i mean that's kind of like what i was saying this episode does start like really good real robot stuff though also like you get to see the completely disassembled robot big into it yeah that was cool but like i was saying this last episode where the where the uh the space battles like you don't have a frame of reference and like the way things kind of move around in the space with the camera like it, it it looks cool but it feels like you there isn't literally any and figuratively any grounding to it. Whereas like still my favorite moment, like in terms of animation and battle wise was that first uh, like tank drill that we saw in like episode one and the way yeah. that, that graze was like spinning around and shooting things like that was super cool. Um, and the rest of this just doesn't have that same impact. Even when, you know, I, I still thought the melee last episode was uh, like the coolest part of that space battle personally. Well, I guess the reason I bring this up is because I think the show thinks it's cool that Mikazuki basically manages to kill a knight with a katana by stabbing him where the helmet would go. But I'm like, doesn't matter because you're in space, right? You can just fly around and do whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm Hmm. That's what made me think of it. Really weird complaint to have. I mean, people are here for personal preference, so you might as well bring these things up. That's right. Who's got plugs? Lightning Strikes Thrice. Uh, it is our uh, JRPG or other RPG in some cases. Uh, Games Club podcast. Uh, we are currently covering Breath of Fire Dragon Quarter, and it is a very interesting time. Uh, that is a game that is worth checking out uh, if you you were ever thinking about it. If you don't um, like it, you're a baby. Also that. Uh, beyond that, um, I do uh, Yuri Manga uh, reviews, uh, also anime sometimes. Uh, on Okazu. I'm a staff writer there. Uh, go to yurikon.okazu.com to go check those out. Uh, also, check out, uh, just l- look up some anime shirts on Grailed. Uh, they're kind of fun. Most of them are yeah. trash, but every once in a while you find one that's really cool. Look up shirts like, about Operation Overlord. Uh, like, check out this uh, knitted jumper that is uh, neon, but also uh, designed to look like um, the Zero... Uh, uh, unit zero one. It fucking rules. I thought you were gonna say zero from Code Geass. Yeah, 
Um, but also probably skip the one uh, that is that says uh, it's called girl masturbating and she's leaning over touching herself. Probably don't buy that one. Speaking oh. of code Geass. Yes, that is exactly what I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad they do have a code Geass. Uh-huh. <sighs> Chris, anything? I strongly consider just, just saying you should join the U.S. military, but don't <laughs> Good news. You can do it digitally through America's army. That's right. <laughs> you actually can't. They shut that down a year ago. I know. It was a good game. It was pretty all right. Other than yeah. the fact that, you know, you're always playing as the army on your own viewpoint, and yet both sides are seeing terrorists somehow. Look, that's realism. When you look, when you're in the army, you look at another officer, you're looking at a future white nationalist who should be called a terrorist. Gary? Shout out to Yakuza 8. Don't you mean like a dragon infinite wealth? Yeah, Yakuza 8. You're going you're gonna to do this to me, huh? You're going to start this fight on this recording? <laughs> Was there a fight happening on a different recording? Yeah, I did actually have a fight about this oh. because I was playing through Like a Dragon 3 and then got chewed out for going, that's not the name. That's that's not what it says if you load the game up in your library. I, I mean, I said, no, I that's mean, what they call the series now. Yeah, technically, if you're playing the Japanese version, it was always yeah, like It's like how it's it called Biohazard translated. 7 slash Resident Evil 7. I was so upset. They, they apparently fixed all of this and Steam, and I'm deeply did, upset yeah. about it. I'm so glad because uh, that shit drove me to... There's a few series I had that did that. Uh, the Frog Detective games were in a really fucked up fashion for a while, but they fixed that. Frog Detective Adventure Games, really good. They're and cute. Steam isn't uh, alphabetical anymore, so it's not really relevant, but there's just like, here's this big fucked up section. <laughs> Very good. Uh, What do you mean Steam isn't alphabetical anymore? It defaults to buy activity, like most recently installed or engaged with a person. Oh, okay, you just have that setting. I was like, no, I, I definitely still have alphabetical yeah. on. Yeah, same. Because mm. yeah. I have to use uh, a sobering amount of categories to find anything. I wonder why. I'm down to 14,781 games. Oof. My nice. plug is check out counter spells. People who don't have them are losers, and if they complain about them to you, it's because they're a loser. <sighs> Fuck blue players. Noted loser. Garrett, you got anything to plug? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yes, um, still, still like a dragon infinite wealth. Uh, I guess technically I also sometimes talk about karate Pokemon at journey through the deck of cast.com. It's true. And we'll be back in two weeks with episodes 11 and 12 as we learn more about the players on the scene and the body counts kick off. And it don't even mean fucking this time. See ya. Peace. Later.